Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, in week three, the Miami Dolphins hung 70 points on the Denver Broncos, making it the fourth time in NFL history a team has done so, but... The record was set in a game of sweet revenge for George Hallis and his Chicago Bears. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, you know what it is. It's Tuesday night. I got my sheets of paper, my notes. All right, NFL historians, lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals. Again, if you know this stuff already, congratulations to you. Cookies for everybody. Uh, I guess except me, I don't need any. But there's always someone else who does not. They don't know this stuff, okay? This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So I'm here to do three things that is enlighten, teach, and learn it is the behind the mic podcast presented by belly up sports and belly up media the belly up sports podcast network that's what we are proud of and uh bellyupsports.com go to it click on it check out the stories the merch as well as all the shows especially this one i always say that and uh you catch us on our home base of megaphone also the favorites apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, and we also have shows on YouTube. So uh, this past Sunday, what was the the big takeaway? All right, before we do the rundown, uh, what's the big takeaway for me? It was a lot of quarterback sacks, some bad offensive line play, and a day of comebacks. That's what it was. So all right, now I'm working on getting this rundown down. Okay, I'm really trying to shorten this thing up because look, I, I, I'm not. My point is, what is it? If you never listen to my show, it's my quick hitting montage, I guess you could say, of going through every, doing a snippet of every game that was played and giving you a little entertainment uh, if you missed the game and giving you not just the score, but a little snippet of what happened. But I can't continue to try to give you every single thing I know and I've seen of the game. I can't give you every stat and, and every little, you know, everything. I tried to do too much. I really do. 
And with that being said, I pray this is a lot better, and it'll probably get even shorter after this. The Rundown, Thursday Night Football, Lions, Packers. Something told me to start David Montgomery over Aaron Jones of Green Bay. Montgomery, a buck 21 on the ground and three touchdowns. 34 points on the bench. I started Jones. He had 18 yards rushing. Two points. Two points. Terrible. But anyway, as far as the game is concerned, second quarter, I said, man, this is really bad. The Packers look really bad. They are struggling. And the more the Packers throw, the worse this is going to get. And right on cue, Jordan Love, he gets picked off. Halftime, you're down 24-3. And this wasn't the Saints. Now, I'll give a little bit of credit. They closed the gap to 10, and Love threw his arm off trying to do that. But the Lions defense, five sacks, eight tackles for loss, and they hit Jordan Love 11 times. David Bakhtiari, if you're listening, they need you bad. And I pray that your knee gets better if he plays anymore again. Lions 34, Packers 20. Sunday, Johnny O. London, Falcons, Jaguars. Who watched Toy Story? Kids, did y'all watch it? You did? Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Football fun day in Andy's room. That was pretty cool. I mean, you got to listen to Booger McFarlane and the other main announcer. I do not remember who he was, but it was entertaining. I watched this game on my phone on the way back from Paducah. It, it was cool. You got to learn if you were a kid, and it's not for everybody, If you, you got to learn how the game was played and all that stuff. Uh, they gave you little snippets. It, it was kind of made for children, okay? But at the same time, they were still calling the game, which was kind of like on a delay. But it was like watching a video game. I thought it was cool. But the game itself, Desmond Ritter, he came on. He's kind of a, eh, let's call him what he is. He's kind of a protect the football type quarterback. He only had one career pick, and then he doubled that in the first half with two, including the pick six. I felt so bad for him. Calvin Ridley, he got a touchdown reception against his old team. And the Falcons, they really need B. John Robinson. And without him, there really is no Falcons offense. You know, they just couldn't get enough out of it. But the Jags won 23-7. Noonday on Sunday. Steelers, Texans. I'm a Steelers fan. This was terrible, embarrassing. And Houston actually might be underrated. I think they'll win the AFC South. But while Bryce Young is in Carolina struggling, C.J. Stroud, he's setting records. He hasn't thrown a pick. He's got over 1,200 yards passing in the first four games, second only to Cam Newton. Not a great completion percentage on Sunday, just 16 of 30, but he threw for 302 touchdowns, and the Steelers' defense gave up 451 yards, 24 first downs, and although T.J. Watt was probably a little bit embarrassed on the day that his brother is there being honored and inducted into the Texans' ring of honor. Yeah, Mike Tomlin, he vows to make changes because of the, quote, ugly product that they put out there on Sunday. Yeah, we need some changes. Oh, yeah. Kenny Pickett hurt his knee. Knee bruise. Uh, not good. Texans 30, Steelers 6. Buccaneers, Saints, when you throw 37 pack, uh, passes and you complete 23 of them, you have to have more than 120-some yards. That's what Derek Carr did on Sunday. And that would explain why Alvin Kamara would catch, what, 13 of those passes for only 33 yards. Not great. Yeah, check down Charlie. Got to have more than that. Plus, Carr missed... Chris Olave at least twice deep. Got to have that. Baker Mayfield, he didn't blink. Three touchdown passes. 
Bucks move on to being perhaps the best team in the NFC South at this point. They're three and one. Bucks twenty six. Saints nine. Bengals at Titans. Titans fans here in Nashville. Yeah, painful memories of that twenty twenty one divisional playoff rematch they were supposed to win, but they put at least that to bed for now. Off year for Cincinnati so far. You know, very off year. Derrick Henry, I told you, he touches the ball 20 plus times, they win. He had a touchdown pass on top of the 122 yards rushing. And then Joe Burrow, I don't think this guy's gonna make it throughout the rest of the season. I really don't. I think they're gonna break him. Their offensive line is terrible. Hit nine times, sacked three times. Come on, guys. I'm a Steelers fan, I'm talking to the Bengals. I really am. And he's the lowest rated quarterback as starters in the league right now. He's the lowest QB rank. Bad. Titans 27, Bengals 3. Dolphins, Bills undefeated. Best offense in the league. Could be the best team in the AFC. Buffalo put that to bed at least for a week and they took their place. Game went back and forth but it bottomed out in the second quarter. Bills took a 31-14 lead at halftime. Tua had hardly been touched before this week. Only one sack. Bills got him four times and they had nine hits on him. And they first two tur uh, turnovers on Sunday. Josh Allen only had four incompletions, throws for four bills, oh, excuse me, three bills, three three of his four touchdown passes went to Stephon Biggs, who, uh, Diggs, Biggs, who's Biggs? Stephon Diggs, who looks like a reincarnation of the Michael Irvin with that big pacifier and, and he can't be tackled. You, you see how he put the guys in the spin cycle? I'm sure you did. That was pretty bad. And one week, you know, you beat a team by 50 and the next week you get beat by 28. Yeah, sports, huh? Bills 28, Dolphins 20. Broncos, Bears, ouch town Bears fans population. You, the last time the Broncos won on the road was, you know, Teddy Bridgewater going to Dallas. What was that, 2020, 2021? They beat down Dallas. Justin Fields and the Bears, they're up 28 to seven. They're going to get their first win. And then Bronc, uh, the Broncos defense and Russell Wilson said, and eh, not so fast, my friend. And uh, they got their first W of the season. And this is in spite of Justin Fields. And I, don't, I didn't look back at the final passing yards numbers, and I normally do. But at the time, he had the most passing yards. I think it was a career high for him, but he had the most passing yards in the league during week four but it just didn't help. Four touchdowns, you blew a 21-point lead. Somebody's head is going to roll after this season, maybe even during the season. That 21-point lead, that was a franchise record for blowing one. They lost their 14th straight. Broncos 31, Bears 28. Ravens, Browns, Deshaun Watson out. Dorian Thompson-Robinson in, the rookie. But this ain't preseason, dog. Can't throw three picks, and he was sacked four times. Ravens defense for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, four touchdowns responsible for. He ran for two, threw for two, only threw 19 passes, and sent the Browns fans home early, 28-3. Vikings, Panthers, how would you feel if your first career interception was a 99-yard pick six? Yeah, that was great for Sam Franklin. At least he put his team up. The Panthers were up, what, 10 to nothing early on in this game. And then Bryce Young, he sacked, fumbled, I mean, you know, gets his arm hit, fumble, coughs it up. <coughs> DJ Wanham, scoop and score for 51 yards, and the Vikings never relinquished that lead. I think it was 14 to 13 at that point. Vikings got their first win of the season, and Kirk Cousins only throws 19 passes. Only throws for about 100 yards. Imagine that, Vikes 21, Panthers 13. 
Rams, Colts, Rams, you were up 23 to nothing. And you crapped the bed. Anthony Richardson was back from his concussion protocol, and he became the first player in NFL history to rush for a touchdown in his first three games. I thought Lamar or Michael Vick or somebody, maybe even running, uh, Randall Runningham, that's what I call him. Randall Cunningham may have even done that. And that wasn't the case. They tie the score at 23 in the fourth quarter. He throws for two, he runs for another, but in overtime, they never saw the ball again. Stafford throws to what turned out to be Puka Nakua's first NFL career touchdown, and he's caught 39 catches in, four, in his first four games. That's a record since 1970. They won in overtime, walk off in overtime. Rams 29, Colts 23. Commanders, Eagles, Jalen Hurts 319 through the air. A.J. Brown goes out, smokes the Commanders for a buck 75. And Sam Howell, no picks. He didn't throw any picks. Had 290 yards through the air, and they would never go away. Howell is looking like he's possibly, maybe, the franchise quarterback. We can't say that too hard after playing good in three or four games, right? But the game did resemble kind of like a tennis match. Back and forth, the score is tied. Is, you know, the, the Eagles are up. The Commanders are up. Yeah. Goes to overtime after Howell finds uh, Dotson for a touchdown with two seconds left to go in regulation. They got the ball first. They had their chance. Um, and uh, three and out. Philly, they wasted no time. Jake Elliott ends up kicking his fourth field goal of the game. 54-yarder. Eagles 34. Commanders 31 in overtime. Afternoon slate. Boy, Brandon Staley. Anyway, Raiders at the Chargers. No Jimmy Garoppolo. Aiden O'Connell, he's in, the rookie from out of Purdue. And I'm convinced that the Chargers have no home field advantage. They have no home stadium. I really am. Raiders fans, everybody that goes to that stadium takes over. I really feel bad, but I didn't really help O'Connell out. <laughs> Three turnovers. And here we go with more sacks. Seven sacks on Aiden O'Connell. It would help if you blocked number 52, though. Khalil Mack had six sacks on Sunday. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Chargers, though, in the second half, after going up big, three points, an interception, and then a failed brotherly shove on fourth down. Yes, the the Philadelphia Eagles push play, you know, to pick up a first down. Head coach Brandon Staley, he just won't stop with this fourth down stuff. But, I mean, it's going to burn him again. It's going it's gonna to burn him. The Raiders, they were on their way. And then O'Connell throws one to Shante Samuel Jr. Probably should have had a pick six on the play. But anyway, uh, third down to 10. Herbert saves the Chargers bacon. 51 yards to Josh Palmer. Seals the game. Chargers 24. Raiders 17. Cardinals at 49ers. I'm a little upset. But before I get to that, Debo didn't even catch a pass in the game. I mean, Brandon Ayuk did. But he didn't really need to. Debo didn't need to touch the ball a whole lot. Uh, it was as close as, what, 21 to 16 when the bottom of the grocery bag fell out for Arizona as they're going to their car. And the 49ers being the total machine that they are, they're one of only two teams left other than the Eagles to be undefeated. They're both 4-0. And I heard something earlier in the week that Christian McCaffrey is not even in the MVP, not even the top five of MVP candidates. Even after scoring four times on Sunday, Rushing for over 100 again, seven catches and 70 yards. I mean, what else does the guy have to do? I, it's just a total Heisman quarterback award these days. Just, that's just ridiculous. 49ers 35, Cardinals 16. I can't even talk anymore. Patriots Cowboys. Ooh, it's getting ugly in New England. 
Tom, it's, it's getting ugly up there, bro. <laughs> it really is. Zeke Elliott, you're on the wrong sideline, but I mean, it's what it you had to. He's done, but uh, it's what he's 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 about to be gone out of the league eventually because he's 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 toast. He got the video tribute. Zeke Elliott's back in Jerry Roar, Jerry's world for the first time, and uh, you know he gives the people the feed me gesture, and then they got the beats. The Patriots got the beats. Belichick takes the worst beatdown of his career. He benches Mac Jones again for Bailey Zappi again. And Jones, three turnovers. I mean, that Cowboys defense is what it was. A pick six, a scoop and score. Belichick has seen enough. Cowboys 38, Patriots 3. Sunday night football, Chiefs, Jets. Supposed to have been a great game. We know it was supposed to have been Mahomes and uh, not having Aaron Rodgers on crutches on the sideline. Taylor Swift, of course, Tay-Tay. She's in there. Nobody even said or mentioned Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, and Blake Lively, and God knows who else was in that booth with her and walked in with her in her bedazzled jorts. But, I mean, it just it was what it was. Uh, good game. And, oh, wait a minute. Swifties, Taylor Swift did not put a four-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowl, two-time Super Bowl winning tight end who was in every freaking commercial that we watch almost every freaking Sunday. Nice try. Didn't put him on the map. Two things, though. Kansas City offense, Jets defense. That's what I want to see. And how well would Zach Wilson play? Zach Wilson played good. 17 to nothing in the first quarter. I thought it was going to be a blowout. And, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't exactly put on Zach Wilson's mask. And Zach Wilson put on the Aaron Rodgers mask and go up in the uh, in Woody Johnson's booth in his suite and sit and clap, pretend to be Aaron Rodgers. I'm kidding. But the Jets fall back. It was 20 to 12 at halftime. They got a safety, a field goal, a touchdown pass from Wilson to Lazard. They closed the gap. They even tied the score at 20. The Chiefs, they just was throwing up on themselves on Sunday Night Football. Patrick Mahomes should have thrown four picks. Only two of them counted. But, uh, I mean, it's what it was. Wilson was efficient. 28 of 39. No picks, but he had to fumble towards the end. Can't do that. Isaiah Pachinko. 158 scrimmage yards. The New Jersey natives showed his butt to the world, you know, back in Jersey, doing push-ups in between plays um, in a couple of what? Questionable <laughs> calls later. Mahomes, he pulls a rabbit out of his butt at the end of the game, runs for a crucial first down, runs out the clock, and that was it. Chiefs 23, Jets 20. We stay in MetLife. They take out the Jets stuff, they put in the Giants stuff, and they have the Monday Night Football stuff. To replace the Sunday night football stuff. And then we have the Seahawks coming in the house to play against the, the New York Giants. And um, yeah, Seahawks are 5-0 since MetLife Open. Daniel Jones, 0-6 on Monday night football. We'll make that 6-0 and 0-7. Seahawks were sloppy. Geno was upset after a tackle and in his return after being the New York Giants. I felt a New York Giant. I felt bad for Jamal Adams, who got concussed after being off an entire year and had to leave. He was really upset with that team, with that doctor, that independent doctor. Sorry, man. Can't play. You're concussed. The Giants, they don't pay Daniel Jones for those little bit of 15 touchdown passes he threw last year. They pay him to take off running. Yeah. A lot of fights, flags, New York booze, and the New York Giants O-line stinks. Ten sacks given up to the Seahawks. Jones was pressured 26 times. He was hit 15 times. So what? He threw two picks and a pick six. Whoop-de-doo. Yeah, Brian Dayball, I would throw my Microsoft Surface tablet too. 
and I'm not sure if Saquon Barkley and the missing tackle Andrew Thomas could fix all this. Seahawks 24, Giants 3. And no matter what I just said, fans, there's still 14 more weeks of football left. Coming up next, imagine turning on the Super Bowl and the final score being 73 to nothing. Yeah, that happened. So last week, we talked about the Miami Dolphins become the fourth team in league history to score 70 points in a game. They beat the Broncos by 50, what, you know, before they got humbled themselves this past Sunday. But the very first time a team scored 70 points in a game turned out to be the most in league history. And it came about in all places in a championship game that turned out to be sweet revenge. Kick the music. So, the Chicago Bears and George Hallis, you know, they had been around since day one when the league was formed in 1920. Of course, they came in as the Chicago Staley's and, you know, the starch makers. They would win their first championship as the Staley's in 1921, and they would establish themselves as being one of the better franchises in league history, especially early on. And this is going all the way to 1963. Of course, we know they had that big gap of being good and being a challenger until 1985 when they won Super Bowl 20. Um, but their offensive success was built uh, pretty much on what a lot of college and pro teams ran at the time, uh, and they had to tweak it some. And that was the T formation. So the T formation was basically a double tight end set. They had three running backs. You know, you can imagine three running backs. If you watched, some teams have actually done this not just in college but also in the pros you may even see it in little league games old school coaches will run that double tight end set with their quarterback under center and three running backs in a straight line behind them one directly the fullbacks right behind the quarterback and then two halfbacks there's no receivers or anything like that but the t formation actually had the quarterback why they called him the quarterback a quarter of the way behind the center okay and the way that people it was mostly running the football and of course the passing rules were approved after the 1932 nfl championship in which the bears beat the portsmouth spartans in their last uh pretty much their last season in there before they moved to detroit to becoming the detroit lions so uh you could throw the football from anywhere but not a lot of teams were taking advantage of that enter clark shaughnessy Clark Shaughnessy, a very innovative coach, especially on the offensive side of the ball. He was the head coach of the University of Chicago. And of course, in that close proximity to the Bears and George Hallis, he actually helped the Bears out a lot, okay? They first met at a banquet in 1935 and he had a meeting with him, you know, and they pretty much devised a plan for the future in which there's a quarterback under center instead of getting the ball pretty much shotgun snapped to him and then also splitting a guy out split in or wide receiver being away from the formation and also pre-snap motion taking one of those halfbacks and moving them in or out of the backfield okay moving them across the formation this is some things that nobody else was doing now of course going forward when the bears started doing this well other teams followed suit but there was still some other tweaks that needed to be made 
And the, the Bears, at one point, they went to three straight championships. They had two of them that they won in 32 and 33 before they was favored undefeated in 1934 and lost the sneakers game to the New York Giants in which this, the New York Giants changed out of their cleats and put on sneakers from Manhattan University and they destroyed the Bears in the second half. Green Bay, Washington, and the New York Giants were, along with the Bears, were the four teams that were dominating pro football at the time. And when you look at it, because Hallis was trying to make these changes like any coach would, so they could be on top. But these are the four challenges. If you look at between the years of 1929 and 1938, these are just the appearances. I'm not counting, you know, just the wins, but even them being in the championship. Green Bay was in there five times, okay? Washington, twice. Chicago, four. New York Giants, three. And then they were separated between two divisions. You had a North, I'm excuse me, you had a West and an East division. And of course, in the West, that's where the Packers and the Bears resided. And I think around the time that they, uh, the Green Bay Packers brought in Don Hudson, a great receiver, Hall of Fame receiver. It kind of changed things. <laughs> the balance of power swung to the Green Bay Packers. But in 1939, as a matter of fact, they beat the Giants 27 to nothing for the championship. And Hallison, the Bears, they were just tired of losing to some of these guys. They couldn't get over the hump at one point. So they go to the draft. The draft is where they would end up building, in night, starting in 1939, to building the 1940s monsters of the Midway, the dynasty that would be the Chicago Bears of the 40s. And so it started off, and if you look at offensively, the Bears were actually one of the better teams offensively already, and especially with the help of Clark Shaughnessy. They were one of three teams to average 300 yards per game. Nobody else was doing that. Now, I mean, if you look at it today, I mean, that's that's peanuts, okay? That's changing your couch uh, if you look at it money-wise as to what the NFL does now. But remember, this is the 1920s, 30s, 40s. Offense wasn't booming like that, okay? If you was averaging three yards, 300 yards a, uh, a pop a game, then that's pretty good for the day. So Shaughnessy and Hallis, they, uh, Shaughnessy actually got with Hallis and said, hey, look, this is what we need to do. We need to change the quarterback position because here's the key. The quarterback position was not the quarterback position that we know of today. The quarterback position at the time was what we call a game manager. He got the snap and he gave it to the halfbacks. The halfbacks were the ones throwing the passes for the most part. Matter of fact, you go back to that Portsmouth Spartans game we've mentioned before uh, where the Bears won it nine to nothing, and the supposed the game-winning touchdown pass was thrown from uh, Red Grange to Bronco Nagurski. They were halfbacks, so a, a back tossed it to the running back who threw the pass. Okay, that was the controversial touchdown pass of, of that game, right? And so that's the way the quarterback position was played. They pretty much just hand the ball to whoever was supposed to run with it or throw it. So it was almost like uh, a halfback pass. That's, that's what it was. But the quarterback position needed to start throwing the football. So um, Sid Luckman was a man that Hallis was targeting. He scouted him at Columbia University. Turned out to be a Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback. The last great quarterback, really, uh, for the Chicago Bears, even with their struggles to this day. 
Um, you saw what happened with Derrick Henry throwing the touchdown pass on Sunday. Just imagine Ryan Tannehill getting the snap and tossing the ball to Derrick Henry instead of him taking a direct snap. That's not how things were done. Uh, it's not stuff the way things are done now uh, on a regular, but that's how they were in the 30s and 40s and going forward. Things started to change. And the Bears really were kind of responsible for that. And also another great head coach who we'll probably talk about perhaps, perhaps on next week. We'll see. But he had to do this thing in the draft. And so Sid Luckman out of Columbia University, he plucks him in the first round. Remember, the draft was supposed to help the teams that were bad, not the teams that were good to stay good, right? So the teams that were bad are supposed to pick at the top. The second overall pick, somehow <laughs> there was a trade that Art Rooney of the Pittsburgh Pirates, not yet the Steelers at the time, he trades his second overall pick to George Hallis, basically so that uh, the Bears could draft Sid Luckman. And then the Bears had the sixth pick in the draft as well, and they picked a fullback, a really good one, by the name of Bill Osmanski. And then 1940, he wasn't done. He pulls off another trade. This guy was six feet, 165 pounds, but Apparently, from what I read, this guy was like a 4240 guy, 424340 type guy. He was fast. He was small, but he was fast. George McAfee, halfback. The Philadelphia Eagles had drafted him, and then Burt Bell, before he was commissioner, trades him to the Chicago Bears. And then at the on the, I think it was the seventh pick that the Bears had, they pick up Hall of Fame lineman and center, Bull Clyde Bulldog Turner. It's just not fair. You pick up four great players, and I think three of the four end up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How in the world did he pull that off? I mean, it just kind of reminds me of the Boston Celtics and Red Auerbach pulling off these trades and, and these special rules to be able to obtain future rights to Larry Bird. And now George Hallis just went right to it. Let me get that second pick. And then he, you know, I don't, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. And so what ends up happening um, the 1940 season, they're ready. They figure, okay, we're ready. The quarterback going to throw the football more than he's going to just pitch it and, and handle and be a game manager. He's going to throw the football. Sid Luckman had that kind of arm. And so they utilized it, not only with the motions and, and the, the way that they were uh, splitting people out and changing the formations, but they were throwing the football with a quarterback, okay? Week nine of the 1940 season, November 17th at Griffith Stadium. This is the setup. This is this game happened before 35,331 people. The Washington, excuse the term, Redskins came in 7 and 1. Remember, this is a historical show. The Chicago Bears were 6 and 2. And they go into Griffin Stadium. Washington actually led this game at halftime 7 to 3, which turned out to be the final score. Fast forward to the fourth quarter. George McAfee he sprints with the football all the way down. He's tackled at the one-yard line. They have no timeouts. So what does he do? He fakes an injury in order to stop the clock. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, but they are assessed a five-yard penalty. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong, but if that happened now, then they would be, uh, especially if you have no timeouts, wouldn't the clock, they, the refs go ahead and wind the clock and that's the end of the game? You can't fake an injury like that. But they gave him a five-yard penalty, pushed him back to the six. 
Luckman, on the very last play of the game that they allowed, he throws the football to Osmanski out of the backfield, and then Washington's Frank Fieldchock, he commits a blatant pass interference. He literally has his arms wrapped around Osmanski, denying him the football, even though the football hits him in the chest, and then that's the ball game. Of course, <laughs> there was no pass interference called. Hallis was hot. He was furious, and he let the refs know it, period, point blank. And so the owner, the famous George Preston Marshall of the Washington football team, he goes in on Hallis and the Bears. And I'm going to quote him. The Bears are a bunch of crybabies. They can't take defeat. They're a first-half club. They are quitters. They are the world's greatest crybabies. That wasn't cool. That wasn't cool at all. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, is that that's how you want to play it. So the rest of the regular season, the last two games, Chicago finishes eight and three after beating up the Cleveland Rams and then also uh, getting revenge on a team that beat them early in the season, the Chicago Cardinals. They win the West. Washington finishes with a similar record and they won the East. Now these two teams are about to meet up in the 1940 NFL championship game. So it's going to be played at Griffith Stadium Sunday, December 8th. Uh, all was going to be well, right? Especially with Washington. And their owner was running off at the mouth, like seriously running off at the mouth. And so he's, uh, Marshall, he sends a telegram after the Bears won the division title. And this is what it said Congratulations. I hope I will have the pleasure of beating your ears off next Sunday and every year to come. Justice is triumphant. We should play for the championship every year. Game will be sold out by Tuesday night. And so this was actually the most anticipated championship to date. Okay, More than 36,000 tickets were sold. That was pretty big for, for pro football especially. And then also 150 press credentials were issued and the first time, this was going to be the first time, the championship game would be broadcast nationally on the radio through the mutual broadcasting system who actually paid $2,500 for the broadcast rights. And so after that, beat, that beating, of course, they know, all right, we got to play Washington again. We got to prepare a lot better for this defense. And so Stanford head coach, now Stanford head coach, Clark Shaughnessy, he travels to Chicago to help Hallis and the Bears prepare for the game. And he's also getting his own Stanford team together because they're in the Rose Bowl, which they would win, by the way. And so here's the here's the um, the rub here. Hallis and Shaughnessy, they go to the film room. They're at the Bears offices at 37 South Wabash in Chicago. Washington had a five-man front that they were running. And they basically, they were covering that motion man and then on top of that, they were shutting down what you would call the quick, the quick openers or the quick hitters. Those uh, those plays that those quick hitting running plays that were in the middle that worked so well with George McAfee. And so they designed a set of plays to test Washington's defense early in the game. And then again, people, nothing new under the sun. There were some scripted plays for this championship game. So no. Shanahan, uh, Mike Shanahan was not the first one to do that. Neither was uh, Bill Walsh. They got it from somewhere. And Clark Shaughnessy, being the Stanford coach, U.S. Coast people, 
and you know that <laughs> Bill Walsh was a Stanford coach. They had to know about that. Somebody had to know about that. Even Paul Brown possibly knew about that because he lived in San Diego in the offseason. So nothing new under the sun. They had scripted plays that they had put together in order for this game. And so on top of all of that, though, okay, on top of all of that, Sig Lugman, he called George Hallis, and this is in an interview in 75 seasons. I remember him talking about how he was a great psychologist. And also it being said that uh, this was going to be a lesson that pretty much kind of predated, and again, nothing new under the sun, modern pro football uses this stuff today, how to work the media. George Hallis is hanging up newspapers, clippings, every day. Not just one, but multiple. Every day he's hanging up stuff to remind his team of what George Preston Marshall and other people are saying about you, okay? This is what he said. That's what the people in Washington are saying about you, gentlemen. I know you are the greatest football team ever. Now go out and show the world. Yeah, George Preston Marsh. Now, Sammy Ball, who's the Hall of Fame, great quarterback, the first great quarterback of pro football, really. Um, he said, look, you want to fire somebody else up, you know, you, you doing all this talking is not helping us out at all. And it didn't, okay? So the championship game go, rolls around. And first play, the first play from scrimmage, all right? First play. They run McAfee on one of those quick openers, one of those quick hitters. He gets seven yards. And it said that Luckman looked at the defense after he handed the football off. He's like, okay, they did not change their defense, make any adjustments. They're doing the exact same thing they did the first time around. So I was like, all right, let's go into that, that scripted playbook. How about the second play? They run a counter off of that. And Osmanski gets the football, 68-yard touchdown. 56 seconds into the game, the Bears are already up 7 to nothing. Now, Washington looked like they was going to come back and score themselves. They returned the kickoff, the ensuing kickoff, 62 yards, go all the way down to Chicago's 32-yard line. But Washington receiver Charlie Malone, he dropped a perfect Sammy Ball pass. It went right in his chest in the end zone. And now, quiet as kept, the sun was in his eyes. I understand you don't, may not want to hear that as an excuse, but they did not have visors back then, okay? catch You try catching the football coming out of the sun. You, you tell me how that works out for you. But what's more is that Washington missed the field goal, went wide. They missed the field goal. After that, it was absolute curtains. The route was on. The next drive, Chicago, 17 plays, 80 yards, they're up 14 to nothing. It was 21 to nothing at the end of the first. 28 to nothing at halftime. Sammy Ball said they threw their game plan out after halftime. I mean, it's, what what was you going to do? You know, that what what you were doing at first was not working. It clearly was not working. By the end of the third quarter, it was 54 to nothing. And this is due to three three pick sixes. Three pick sixes. I've seen in the uh, the box score, well, not the box score, but looking at the stats, they had three different guys that threw passes. All of them threw at least one interception. All right, and I'll give you the numbers on that in a second. But three pick sixes. The backups were in by the fourth quarter. They had three touchdown runs, and the game ended 73 to nothing. Championship game. Sweet revenge 
against a big mouth owner for George Hallis. I mean, I don't know how how much worse that can get. They beat you. It wasn't a neutral site either. Remember that. They're playing in Washington, okay, at Griffith State. They're playing in Washington in front of probably mostly Washington fans. All right, and here's here's a couple interesting tidbits. It was third, third quarter, it's 54 to nothing, right? The press box riders, they're taking bets on whether the Bears will score more touchdowns on offense or defense. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and then here's another one. You knew this was a home game for, <laughs> for Washington. So the Washington PA announcer, what does he do? He's, he's booed when he tells fans, hey, make sure that you buy your 1941 season tickets. That is the last thing. Yeah, boo. Boo. That is the last thing you want to hear. The absolute last thing that you want to hear at that time. You are down 54 to nothing. You want me to buy season tickets? I don't know if I'm that diehard of a fan at this point. So, I mean, that, that, that was a crushing defeat for George Preston Marshall uh, and those Washington uh, fans. And look, should have kept mouth closed, but that's not how people operate. Some of them, they just don't. Uh, Washington passers, they threw a total of eight interceptions in that game. And they had nine turnovers, you know, for the entire game. It's crazy. And the other crazy part was that they were running out of footballs at one point. They had new footballs for the championship game. And the referees asked George Hallis at one point, say, okay, Let's not kick any more footballs with, with these extra points into the stands because we're about to run out. There's no nets. There were no nets at that time. No nets. Catching the, once the football went to the crowd, that was it. They actually started using some of the older practice footballs at one point. It's like, okay, well, we're going to run out. So they just started going for, I, don't, I think it was going for two. Maybe it was not. They were just going for an extra point by either running or passing. Um, but it, it, that's what they had to do. They were running out of balls. Uh, Chicago's rushing yards. Now they ran. Uh, they had over 519 total yards. They ran for 382 yards on the ground. Washington only had 22. Pro Football Reference actually puts them at five yards. A lot of other historical books say 22 rushing yards. I think they're deducting yards um, uh, from somewhere, but 22 rushing yards is still that's not a lot. And the papers the next day, yeah, the Bears with the big, the big beat down. They're the mon they declared them. That's when they declared them the monsters of the midway. And that started and kicked off the Bears dynasty, in which they really soared into greatness. Uh 1941, the next year, Washington could have met the Bears in the championship uh four straight years, actually. 40, 41, 42, 43, I believe. They would have, they, they could have. But it didn't happen because the New York Giants got there instead. And uh, the Bears, they beat them down 37-9 at Wrigley Field in Chicago. Um, and then Washington actually got their revenge in 1942. They beat Chicago back at Griffith Stadium 14-6. Uh, but then the Monsters would return the favor in 1943 with a 41-21 thumping at Wrigley. So Washington, they made their last championship appearance in that famous game I've talked about before. The Cleveland Rams won their first ever title uh, in their last year in Cleveland because they left for L.A. in 1946. They beat Washington 15-14. to 14. That was a painful, 
loss for them. I think that was, yeah, that was the last time that they would see a, uh, a championship game until they reached the Super Bowl against the Miami Dolphins in 1972. That's a long time. And they lost to Bob Waterfield, who was a rookie at the time. And uh, that's what it was. The Bears would win it all again in 1946 at the Polo Grounds against the Giants. And that would be the last time they would see a championship game for a little while until, what, 1963. But the war actually ultimately broke them up. They won four championships in six years. And the war ultimately broke them up. Um, but, uh, I mean, they could have probably continued into the 50s, possibly. I would have loved to see those Bear teams play against, see what the results would have been in playing the Cleveland Browns in the 50s. That would have been great to see. Um, but th there were two other ones that we mentioned last week. Two other teams that scored 70 points in the game besides the Dolphins this season. In 1950, as a matter of fact, the LA Rams, <laughs> they beat the first incarnation of the Baltimore Colts that came out of the AAFC. 70 to 27. That was a lot of points. 97 points in the game. It's a lot. And wouldn't you know it, Washington, they scored the second most points in NFL history. In 1966, they scored 72 against the Giants. And that game, actually, when you total both of those teams up, 72 to 41 was the final score. 113 points scored that day, the most in a NFL game in NFL history. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But George Preston Marshall, yeah, probably could have kept his mouth shut, but, you know. It is what it is. That's it. References. Thanks to ESPN.com. Also, ProFootballReference.com. And I'm launching my books. Oh, four really good books. Papa Bear, The Life and Legacy of George Hallis by Jeff Davis. The League, How Five Rivals Created the NFL and Launched a Sports Empire. This one written by John Eisenberg. Also, my favorite book, America's Game, The NFL at 100, co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. And finally, the Sporting News Complete Super Bowl Book, 1993 edition, editors Tom Diner, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. And finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. Click on it read the articles check out the merch and all the other shows but especially behind the mic and check us out uh, all of our shows on our home base of megaphone also the favorites everybody's favorites apple podcasts and spotify those are the two favorites and also google Podcasts, amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, and i don't even know why i have cable television even i probably need to go with youtube with cable television because my kids don't watch anything but youtube yeah it's crazy. I think I'm wasting money. But hey, tell everybody about my show or I will find your house. I'm out. I'm out.